0: This is Pastor Dan. just want to thank you for choosing this podcast by New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo today. I hope that as you listen, you'll be able to reach New Heights in Jesus with us. Listen during the inspirational moment time for some exciting study on behalf of a few different members of the congregation. Pastor Dan's sermon from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Also listen for Undo Me, as performed by New Heights Fellowship Not-of-This-World Praise Band. What a powerful uh, worship experience that was this Sunday. Thank you, God bless you, and enjoy. I'm so glad for spring to come this year. I, I was I was kind of getting tired of the cold and the ice and stuff, and, and we had a couple of good snows. Uh, but I do I enjoy the snow too. So I, you know, by fall you're like, okay, we're gonna get some snow, uh, and by and in the winter it's always yay for sun. So you know, they don't get that uh, down south and stuff. They only get the yay for sun like almost the whole year, or they get they get snow though. You know, I no snow. Um, so, praise God, we get both and the variance, and we get pretty colorful trees, uh, changing the colors in the fall, and we get a ton of rain in the spring, usually, so and the tomato farmers are real glad for that. So we got some change going on, we also got folks at boot, they live in different places now, and thankfully, uh, all nearby, praise God for that, and... Um, uh, watching the story at the Brewster Household as it unfolds and getting your stuff set up. Everybody, that's really awesome. And uh, Tommy got moved into the apartment and we're sharing our domiciles now. So Tommy's living in the Brewster's old apartment. So praise cool. God for that. And it's a good situation, all right? You like it so far? Good. Awesome. Um, so we're going to go ahead and pray together. Uh, there are no meetings or anything like that scheduled today, but the pantry is open from 2 to 3. Um, and then uh, next week will be next week will be the membership meeting. Right. That's next. Fourth week. Next week, new membership meeting. Yes. All right. And, and rapidly approaching the crosswalk. So we're supposed to be inviting people to come and march with us. It's okay. They could stay at their church. Not trying to win them away from their church or anything like that. They come represent their church, wear their church T-shirts. Their church youth group can make their own cross, whatever. If you think of anybody, who could take us to invite. Do that. We're going to be doing the same thing through social media, texting, and all that kind of stuff.
1: There will also be flyering dates coming in the next couple of weeks. A couple
0: flyering dates coming up. So, the option to come out walk a little bit and go around and put the flyers in the neighborhood. And, uh, and if you think of another way that you'd like to do something, and if you approach Alicia with it, um, I'm, she can help or I can help. Or we'll get it started. I got a little money. If it takes a little bit of money. you know. So, we, we want to get the word out about that event because that's really glorifying God. I, I looked at one uh, somebody else is doing online on Friday. And it was pretty cool. And so I'm excited for that. I hope we will have fun doing it. And nothing else? We'll come out we'll glorify the Lord by marching and recognizing what he did for us. And that'll be awesome. Okay? And that's the day before Easter, which is the 17th of the Saturday, right? And 18th is Easter. Resurrection Sunday, which we celebrate resurrection every Sunday. But resurrection Sunday, the day of that of, we celebrate the resurrection. It's coming up fast. So you be prepared for that. Okay. I'm going to pray real quick. And then... Uh, I have no idea what song we're doing next. Are we doing our Want one of those next? Is that next?
2: <coughs> Great and mighty. Great and mighty. Oh, that's what we just did. It and it's right. the 16th and 17th. Sorry. Saturday is the
1: Saturday. 16th. And Saturday Sunday. The 17th is Easter. <coughs> so, would you pray for us then as we go on
0: into the service? you, Lord. Thank you, I Thank you, Father. Thank you for time man to be able to worship you in a country that recognizes the freedom of religion. I pray for everyone here that we can be safe.
2: And healthy and not sick. Pray for the status of the world right now and uh, all the scariness going on on the other side of the planet. And you would be there and you would help that resolve in the best way possible. In your your name I pray. Amen. Thank you. All right. So if you could please stand up, we're going to do great and mighty next, and then you're worthy of my praise after that. Great Great and
0: mighty. You're worthy of my praise. Study. So, I've been encouraging you to study. So, this morning, out of the blue, I texted a few guys, uh, just a few texts. If you didn't get my text, it's okay. I, got, I know some people didn't respond. Okay, don't, If you see it later, maybe look at it for next week or whatever, and that's fine. And I didn't text everybody, but you may get one. And so, I asked a few people to maybe get a look at a verse, write one sentence down about that verse, or at least think of one sentence about that verse, and then come and share it with us today. So, who's got one ready? All right, Tommy first, then Ron
2: he gave me uh, Luke twenty four forty five 45, the verse is, then he opened. Then he opened their mind that they may understand the scriptures. I wrote that. I think this verse suggests that God is the one who brings the truth of his word to you. And when you study, it's important to remember that. Um, all right, I, I, I kind of put like what's the best way to receive wisdom you need to understand God's word. I put James 1, 5. Says, As, "Ask God for wisdom, and He will give it." So when we study, let's we not forget to stay open to God in and, and humility. When we study the Bible. Amen. That's a good word, brother. Now
0: listen, what he just did right there is a good example of study. Okay, and a lot of people do it a lot of different ways, but the bottom line is there is no better. You can go buy, you can go to the store and buy a twenty dollars study book, and it'll work you through an entire book. And what they'll do is what he just did right there. You write your own stuff. You don't don't have to spend money on other people's study books. You should have a Bible. At the very least, a Bible app. Right? And if you don't, see me, I'll make sure you have a Bible. I can't make sure you have a Bible app necessarily, but I can make sure you have a Bible. And you can do that. You take the verse, you look at it, what does it say, what does it mean, what what are we supposed to do about it? That's basically it. All right? There are other methods and different ways that you can do it too, but there are no better methods than that, just other methods. Brother, Rock. so um,
3: Pastor Dan gave me the verse Philippians 1.12. and he put it in the text message. But I would, but I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the brethren of the gospel. I think you might understand that at first, so I went and looked it up in, in my Bible, in the NIV, and uh, it was a little more clear to me. Um, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters. That what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Amen. So Paul's speaking as he's imprisoned and in chains, and uh, I don't know exactly where, <laughs> but maybe you can tell me. But I think it was near from Philippi. I'm not okay. sure. <laughs> so, anyways, um, you know, basically he's letting them know that this is what was going to happen, and and. Uh, That it's being used for God's benefit. Uh, Paul did not give in to self-pity or complaining. He chose to see Christ in all situations. um, Which allowed him to see that through his imprisonment the gospel of Jesus would not only be spread to those that he shared it with, but also everyone whom they touched as well. Um, That is in reference to verse 13, which is the next verse. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Amen. So, not only are the people that are directly like over Paul uh, being affected by by his message, everybody that they tell in the palace, which is the entire palace guard, is Mm -hmm. being affected
0: as well. It's really interesting. You may think that what you're going through sucks and... That's probably a lot of times not a bad assessment. I mean, we know what's bad, right? I got hit, I, I shared with a brother this week that felt like I was being attacked so many times spiritually this week. It was like death of a thousand cuts. It was that bad. It wasn't anything huge, but it was one thing after another after another. And then there was a couple of pretty big things. And um, so sometimes you think what you're going through is bad, but remember that it can be used to do an amazing work between you and somebody else or whatever. Right, we're just starting to worship today. Aw. She felt on her head. Anyway, as we were just starting to worship today, I was thinking about that first song that we sang, and, I, th- and I, said to my, I said out loud, but I don't know if anybody else heard me, I said, until you have sung that song weeping, until you are broken over your condition, and still worshiping God, you don't necessarily know the meaning of the word. And I, and I, didn't, I didn't really have that thought, it just kind of came out of my mouth, and so... I think we we have to see certain things in our life through the eyes of difficulty and question. We, we have to go through difficulty to understand some of what life is about and uh, and know how blessed we are in Christ. Okay. Anybody else got one?
2: Are you sent me the Luke 8.10. Yep. And I'm not going to lie, I just looked at it like... It's 10, 10. okay, go. Um, it's a proof positive. It doesn't take that long. It says, And he said... To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Um, I look back a little further and it's uh, after the parable of the sower and his disciples were questioning him. And so one of the, I guess one of the things that really sticks out to me right now is how we have the knowledge, if we believe in God, we believe in Jesus as a hope and have the Holy Spirit. we have that knowledge inside of us to understand more about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God other than people who are not saved. So we have that ability in us, but yet there's so many times when we still refuse to see, we still refuse to hear because we have on this side, we have the world pushing against us saying that what we believe isn't true and what we believe isn't right, but deep down, if we truly fully believe in Jesus, we know that that is not true. Although we still get stuck sometimes in those moments where we, we question whether or not something is real or not. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's a good word. That's exactly it. I,
0: it's a painful thing. Actually, when you stop and think about the fact that during Jesus' day there were those who were around him, wait for it, who were not supposed to believe. We think you just explain the gospel to anybody, and they might believe in Jesus and get saved, right? We want we want that for everybody. That's our existence now because. Christ died, rose again, Holy Spirit has come. The church exists as ministers of the gospel. That's what we do. We're supposed to be bringing people to Christ. So we always think, well, you could share with anybody. And anybody at any point in time might get saved. But God is still author over all that. God is still in control over all that. And there are people who are, quote unquote, ready to get saved, and there are people who are not ready to get saved. And it largely comes down to whether they understand and believe or not. And. I'll, I'll never forget. Right before I got saved, as I was actively, I had begun my search to actively come to God. There were literally truths that the pastor, the, pe- the people at church would preach, the pastor or whoever had come to preach, or things I read in my Bible, and I'm going like, I, I can't understand this. I just don't understand. I could tell. I mean, I knew I've been through school and read and studied and like that. I knew what I knew and I knew what I didn't know. And I would read it and be like, I, I just don't understand this. I can't get it. So, if, if this works for you, if you're reading your Bible and you can read the Bible and understand it, don't take it for granted. That is a gift from God. Okay? If you're saved, you believe in Christ, when you read your Bible, you go, Yeah, I get that. If you actually do get it, you understand it and can apply it. Do not take that for granted. And if you're not going to take it for granted, then we're back around to study your Bible, write something down, and I would suggest share it with anyone who will listen. You literally could go, We leave here today. Uh, you could write something down out of the sermon, or if you want, don't want don't to do that, then Monday morning, you could write something down out of your study Monday morning, and then you could all week long, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you could p- come up with a little question, like out of the verses that you just read. You could, say, you could go to everybody that's in your friend group, everybody that you work with, and you're like, hey, you know, I, I, I did this little study the other day, and I got to thinking about this, and I, now I'm pulling my friends and my family, and I want to see everybody, what do you think about this? And you could say, out of that verse, do you think the Bible is hard to understand? Okay? And they would answer you, because you, did, you know that, right? They know you by name. They don't care. No, no, nothing is really at stake. So they'll answer you. Yes, I think it's hard to understand. No, I don't think it's hard to understand. Right? Then out of that, you've begun a spiritual conversation with that person. See, the disciplines work together. The study fuels everything else. I was uh, in a men's pastor's group, um, which that's redundant to say, but I was in a pastors' group uh, about uh, ten years ago, and we were it was like ten a.m. on a Thursday morning, and we were sitting there, and we were going to pray together and stuff like that. And um, and I, at that time, I was doing what I'm doing now, what I've been doing for the last two months, which is doing study every morning before I do anything else. Praise God, all, all glory to God. But anyway, and so every morning I was just about getting a sermon. You know what I'm saying? Like this, like uh, this morning, I. I, my study followed up on what I'm going to preach today, and so it added something to my thinking about the sermon. Last week, on Thursday morning, I got the entire sermon in less than an hour, right? Studying my Bible, and so I'm in this pastors' group, and one of the guys says, You guys know, want to be out in the open, put this out there, and explain this." He said, "Sometimes I have a hard time writing a sermon. Like I'll read my Bible, and I'll read whole chapters, I'll read, I'll read a whole book of this or that, or what I'll just read." vast stretches, and I can't find anything in there to preach on. And when he said that, I was like,
1: oh,
0: no that's so weird, that's so different from my experience. right?" So uh, what RJ just read, now, is there anybody in this room, and let's be really realistic, is there anybody in this room, if he, if he said what he just said, that couldn't go, well, there are roughly three main things in there that really we need to hear, right? And you could do that, couldn't you? If you really had to, so, take a piece paper and a pen, and go and say, "Well, he said this." If I was going to tell somebody what he said, I'd say he said this, and say he said this, and say, say he said this. And then you pray over the three things, and go, oh, that was not that important." He did say this, and now you have three things, right? You're halfway to writing a sermon. The disciplines all work together. You're going to pray, right? You're going to pray for your family members. How many people in here? Uh, this is this is interactive. Okay, this is us working together as a group to figure this out. I don't know the answer to this until I ask it. All right. How many people in here this week have prayed for somebody in your family, either out loud by name or in your head? Raise your hand. Okay, it's okay if your hands down. Hands down. Not the spiritual. You can put them down. Okay. Not the spiritual discipline impact on prayer. But let me tell you, you probably should have prayed for your family. But so let's say you prayed for your family this week. Now, if you did the study that we just heard about, any of these, right? So RJ's study on understanding. You praying for your family, like I pray, I've been praying for my wife like three to five times a day that her neck and, and her shoulder would be healed. Okay, but now I did that study. Do I not now also need to pray that she would understand God's amazing grace, that she would understand the mysteries of God, that she would be able to live out the, the amazing God's doing in her? Or based on the study, if I did the study that Ron did, what, could I not it would not be right to pray that God could use what she's going through? To spread the gospel? Right? So you can do that and you just add it add it in. And if you just pray, I'm gonna I'm just being transparent. If all you ever do is just pray, God heal those people who are sick in my life, just pray, God heal. There's nothing really wrong with that, but it's about like dipping your toe in the Atlantic Ocean. Anybody here ever go to an ocean and you got there and you didn't get in it at all? Like you didn't get wet and didn't get sprayed, didn't put your foot in, didn't take your shoes off and walk in the water. Nothing. I mean, you go if you're going to drive two thousand miles to go to the ocean, or a thousand if you're going east, right? If you're going to drive five hundred miles to get to the ocean, you're going to interact with the ocean somehow. Well, that's what it's like when we pray, and we the study fuels our prayer worship. How many songs of all okay, right, Worship leaders especially. How many songs of the songs we just sung are based on scripture? We sang what? Three. Three songs. How many of the three that we just sung are based on Scripture? Does anybody know for sure? All of them. Okay, at least it says all of them. Do we do we concur on that? I think they all are. Now, based on all three of those songs, right, this would be easier if they were in order, but we we, we changed the order today. So, we, I will enter his gates, great and mighty, and you're worthy of my praise. Okay, all three of those songs are based on Scripture. Now, can anybody find any of the verses in their Bible that go with those songs? The answer is yes. Every one of you could do that. All you have to do is look up the word "gates" or "great and mighty" is actually a phrase that comes out of the songs, right? Or "worthy and praise." Just look those words up in your Bible, and you can find them. And then you can study the verse. Now, if you if you happen to study the verses that go along with those songs yesterday, that was your study, and then you came in here today and sung the songs, would the songs seem different? They would. You'd be looking at them through a completely different lens, right? Our has had a number of guys in our church, there's a bunch of guys in our church, right, that have had a bunch of training with cars. They've done all kinds of stuff, fix all kinds of stuff, all that kind of stuff on cars, replace stuff, fix stuff, whatever. So when they hear the cars making a noise, their first thought is probably what the noise could be. When I hear the cars making a noise... I don't have a clue most of the time. You know and I'm saying so because because they were trained in cars, they know that kind of things. So they might already have like three ideas in their head of what it could possibly be. Or they might go, that's definitely this, and you're out of luck, man. Your your engine's going out, you're toast. If that's what it's doing. But I'd be going like, well, maybe I just need an oil change. you know what I'm saying? Or I what I really do is get RJ or Tony or somebody to look at my car. Right? So it, it totally changes the way you do the rest of the disciplines. It's the fuel, yet it's the governor, yet it's the the steps, like, how do you do it? It's, it's all in there. there I, I'll tell you right now, there is nothing that we do on a Sunday morning. Nothing. Not one thing. People will tell you otherwise, and if they argue that, they tell you otherwise, you need to be ready to correct them. There is nothing that we do here on Sunday morning that is not livable. Nothing. Some churches all, all dress up, right? They all dress up on Sunday morning. We don't all dress up. Is either of those things wrong? Wrong. Not really, right? Not, they're not wrong. Because God's really concerned about what you look like on the inside. That's really what he's about. That's just fine. So somebody will try to come and say, no, you have to go to church dressed up. That's biblical. And you can say, well, no, I, you show me where that's biblical because I know it's not there. Right? And so on. Tithes and offerings. Absolutely biblical. First 10% of your income goes to God. After that, it's an offering. If you get 5% of your income, that's not, that's not an offering because it's not the first 10%. And it's not a tithe because it's not the first 10%. It's part of a tithe. It's part of a tithe until it's a tithe. That's biblical. It's Malachi 3, Jesus speaking of tithes. It's it's in the scripture. Singing praise. We have worship leaders. In the New Testament church, they had worship leaders, but it wasn't structured. Right? In the early days in Acts, they didn't have that. It wasn't pretty. They had some little girl or some guy who happened to be able to sing. Had a nice voice. And he'd get up there and he'd sing. And he'd say, okay, now repeat after me. Come on. Sing the next verse. It's changed a lot. But it's the same exact thing. Right? It's all biblical and study fuels the, everything that we do. Joe, so, quick.
1: Um, so on YouTube I found this video there's this um five year old girl that sung ten thousand reasons. and seeing oh, wow. song. Wow. And it's amazing what the little kids like her could do when they're not <clears throat> when they know when they don't even know what they could go what they're gonna go out to be.
0: Yeah. And if you think about it, you can find a verse that goes right along with what you just said. That's all i am saying. So maybe next week I'll do it again. But here's the here was the object lesson of the whole thing. You don't need me to do that.
2: I mean, I'll do it if you want to. I'll send out a
0: few people every week and whatever. But we came in here last week and, and I'm not chastising anything. We came in, nobody really had anything to share. And so this week I made sure I stacked the deck. I wouldn't say cheated, but I stacked the deck. Right? And I and not everybody I sent to was able and I did not send to everybody there's a lot more people that could do it but you don't need me to send you something all you have to do is you literally could go like okay I am going to have something to say about this that's all you gotta do Right? Read one verse or a little paragraph or something and think about what you would say about it. If you were. And then I encourage you to use it. Like what we preach about today, Brother Tony Tate does this. He's not here because he's he's having a little bit of a difficulty at the moment, but he may be here yet. But um, I would encourage you to that. Whatever you study or whatever you hear in the sermon or whatever you do on Tuesday night, which is Tuesday night, this Bible study, we're almost done with it, but it's been awesome. It's been amazing. Um, Whatever you do, then that you can take to your friends and family, wherever. And like, well, I know, the ABCs of Salvation. I, I would love to go take the ABCs of Salvation to every person who doesn't know Jesus and share them all the time. And we all know that just doesn't work. right? But you need to have something to talk to them about that will lead to that conversation, study something, make a little note for yourself, and then go ask them, "Just what do you think about this? Or get one question out of it to ask them, and then that's your conversation that will lead to sharing the gospel. When we use the spiritual disciplines, we will see people get saved. That's the bottom line, including us, including us, because it's required by the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're going to pray together. I uh, would ask you to remember um, Ms. Sherry. She, the pain today is in both of her arms, and so that's in relatively new development and not a good situation. And so just pray, just pray for her. Amalia is sick was throwing up, so remember remember her. Uh, as you can see, Carson is feeling much, much better, but I'm sure shared whatever it was that he had with his mother. So that's kind of how that goes. Um, and then uh, Miss June uh, has been going through a lot and still really needs to free herself from smoking and be able to get the surgery that she needs for her back and do the other thing that she needs to do. And uh, Stacy uh, has a thing in her head, uh, physical, Would they call it, a tumor? Is that what it's called?
1: No, she's a... Uh, she's got-
3: She I I really don't know the cause of it. She she started having seizures as soon as we moved in our house. And she would have seizures at night when she sleeps. So they were changing their medications around and stuff. And so her head, she's like,
0: (laughs) yeah. Okay, so pray for her. And then pray for Perry, um, because he's got blockage in his heart. And there are others as well. I'm not trying, it's not an exhaustive list, but let's pray for one another and lift each other up. Yes. I feel wonderful today, man.
3: Praise God. Praise God. I walked into the church, it was like, what's That's going me. on? I mean, yeah. like, Praise
0: God. maybe it's the just Lord.
3: today, you know who knows. Today I feel
0: good. Listen, I'm praying that this morning the um, Lord cleared a percentage of the blockage in your heart, and this will like this every day going forward. That's what I'm praying. I pray that's true. All right, let's pray exactly. Father in heaven, you've heard these names as they are called. You've heard these brothers speak on your word. We ask you, Lord, to add blessings to the speaking of your word, add blessings to the people who come looking to you. We look in solidarity. We look in unity. We seek you together today. In this room, there are the smallest children who have no clue what's going on and the oldest, longest living of us. We're calm, and yet just under the surface lies that frustration because, Lord, the world is not going in the way that we would like it to go. We're struggling with this or that or the other thing. We know that's all part of your grand design, that you are (coughs) infinite in living power, knowledge, design, giving, loving. Lord, you are infinite in all good things. We also know that your wrath is a very real thing. For those of us who are going against you, not doing what it is that we should do, we understand that we are under chastisement. For those of us who see it in the world, we see so much going on around us in the house next door, across the street, on the news, it's everywhere. Lord, that there is so much unrighteousness. And we could sit back and we could judge that, and we could say, "Hey, that's at least I'm not that bad. I'm not like them." Uh, Lord, but we realize that there is unrighteousness in our choices as well, and so we come confessing it to you and asking you to forgive us and set us now on the path of holiness the best we can. We know we're never going to be like you completely in this lifetime, but we can be like you as gifted to us by Jesus, your Son. We thank you, Lord, that we have so much. We thank you that we do so well. We thank you that we have so many opportunities to worship and give and share and study. Lord, I thank you that there are amongst us who have so much going on that we say, well, I just don't have time to study my Bible. We know it's not true. <laughs> we realize we're kidding ourselves, but uh, Lord, we thank you that we could ever be in a position that there's so much good in our lives, so many things in our lives that we're focusing on that that's not that high a priority. We do ask your forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for our health such as it is, even those of us who are suffering and struggling. We ask you to use the suffering and struggling that we're going through for your glory to lead people to you. Father, we ask you to give us wisdom. Please open our eyes that we may understand your word, that we may live according to your word. I love that word understand because it means to stand under. Lord, help us to stand under your word today and be the church as you'd have us to be. standing in this building that you blessed us with. On this corner that you blessed us with, in this city that you blessed us with, in this sunshine that you blessed us with, with breath in our lungs, blood in our veins. Please, Lord, let us serve you. Let us follow you. Let us reach new heights in Jesus today. Please, Lord, heal our suffering and hurting these names who were called and heal us too. That we might have unity, not just amongst us, but unity with you. And we pray for this in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Amen. <laughs> I could I am
0: To take notes. I've got three more passages. That reference actually is 1 Thessalonians one eight through two twelve. So don't think you're getting off like a fifteen minute sermon or anything here. We don't want to get your hopes up. Okay, uh, it's going to be good stuff. Um, so this is this is my thought process, and I want to kind of maybe kind of get you on board with me. Um, the sermon is entitled uh, When the it's entitled uh, It Was Never Going to Be Okay Again, and the Okay is like in parentheses. So, I want you to think for a moment about how the world views okay. This is what actually happened in my life. Uh, So, I'm saved, and I know that. Uh, I I believe in my heart. I don't expect you to believe it necessarily. That's, you know, between me and God, that kind of thing. But I I believe I'm saved. I believe the Holy Spirit testifies in my heart that I'm saved. I believe that I'm going to heaven when I die. And I've been through some stuff. Now, I have not had a full blockage in my heart. I have not had a uh, problem with my neck where I have pain on my arm. I have not had pain every day while I'm working, although I did for a couple years, but then it went away, so I don't have that now. Um, I haven't lost a really close loved one, like a, my wife or one of my kids or grandkids. Praise God, we've been very blessed like that. Um, but I've been through some stuff, and when I've been going through some stuff, this, this is what I've, I've done for the last, I want to say, probably 10, 12 years when i 'm going through some stuff, someone will say, "Are you okay and i 'll say yeah i 'm okay um, because I know i 'm mad i 'm hurting i 'm sad, whatever, but I also know that in the Lord I should be okay right so I went uh, for example, I went to my doctor when I was living in Perrysburg, and i was I was struggling with some symptoms like depression and I, and I, I later found out that my actual problem was more physical and I had anemia, which is when uh, you don't have enough red blood cells or iron or whatever in your blood. Um, and so I, I was feeling weak. And, um, she said, Is there any possibility you're depressed? And I was serving the Lord and at that time. I think it was when I was a deacon, but I, I may have been, no, because it was after I came back. So I was called to preach the gospel and it was right, right about the same time or right after we had started planting new heights. And, um, the doctor said, Is there any possibility you're depressed? And I said, Oh, no, I'm okay. Because my logic was, and she said, Well, and she said this and I understood what she was saying she said uh, well it, it could be that you're depressed you understand that right she said just because you're a Christian and you know called in the ministry or whatever like that doesn't mean you can't be depressed and which is true because we all can get depressed anybody can get depressed and the real problem is not whether or not you get depressed it's if you stay depressed for too long because once you get stuck there it's hard to get out and there's, it takes some, some process some work and sometimes some medicine some counseling whatever to get out of being depressed if you stay there for too long But I was first operating under the principle, you can't possibly be depressed if you've got the kingdom of God, right? And you're a child of God, can't possibly be. And then she burst my bubble and said, no, you can be. And I said, well, yeah, that makes sense, you can be. And then after that, for another however long it's been since then, I've always been operating under the principle that you should be Okay. If you're a Christian and you're going to heaven, no matter what you're going through, and I kind of get that out of Philippians 4, Paul's talking about, I have learned to be content in all things, whether well, I have much or I don't have much, or whatever, right? And so says, you should be okay. Well, I'm here to tell you today that that is a falsehood. I was wrong. Um, in fact, the term, the topic of the sermon is, it's never going to be okay again. All right? So grab your Bibles, if you will. And maybe take a little breath in your lungs and go with me as we go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Amen. Thank you. We've now committed ourselves into the hands of the Lord. Whatever this here says, we're going to respond to it. If you're here operating under some other principle than that, then I would ask you to kind of adjust and join us as we go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, Okay. Now, it does begin sort of in the middle of a thought, but we're already reading quite a bit, so I think we'll get the gist of it. Uh, Verse 8 says, "...for or because the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, and I probably mispronounce that, I usually do, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything." In other words... The people that had gotten saved there in Thessalonica, that's the name of that city, the people who gotten saved there were spreading the gospel amongst the uh, Thessalonians, the other people that lived in Thessalonica, and then from there it was spreading out across the region, to other cities, etc. Paul was aware of that, and so he says, I don't really have to say anything about that um, because we're hearing how it's already spreading from you. Just an aside, this is not the sermon, but just an aside. If we could be known as a church that spreads the gospel and the love of Jesus, that would be the one and only chalk mark that I would think would win the day. Right? If, if there are people who live in East Toledo who have met Jesus, who don't go to church anywhere. Okay? They are waiting for, looking for, or they're hurt over something in the past, or they're tempted and distracted by the things of the world, or whatever. But they're waiting for, looking for, a church will come in. It really is the church of the Bible. It really is doing what it is that God has called them to do. Now, I believe that we are at least on the cusp of that, if not already there as a church. So don't think I'm saying that we're not. But I also believe that uh, people on the other side of Toledo don't necessarily know the name. or uh, Well, we may have people in South Dakota or Iraq that know the name New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo. We may not be reaching anybody in... Uh, Indiana or Illinois, right? So this was, and, and the regions were smaller, so that's a little unfair analysis. He wasn't talking about the world over. They didn't have the world over then. It was just the Middle East, right? But he was saying that because we've seen it, it's happening, the gospel's spreading. That's what, something I want for us. And maybe we get that out of the text overall, but it isn't one of the points, okay? So verse 9 then says, for they themselves report about us, so these are the people that are hearing the gospel, right? these other people that have heard the gospel from the Thessalonians, follow this, report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. So, attached to the gospel is the faithfulness of God's people. Also, not one of the sermon points, but realize that as they were spreading the gospel from Thessalonica out across the region, with it went the understanding that God's people was doing what they were supposed to be doing. Right? That Paul and the others had come, shared the gospel with the people in Thessalonica, and that some of them have gotten saved and formed the church there, and that it then went on, and they attached the story of God's People being faithful to the gospel. It doesn't save. Right? It, it's not a saving part of the story, but it is a testimony about being saved. Okay? So your testimony, what you came out of, what you've done, is attached to the gospel now. If you were, uh, let's see, I'm trying to research from some of our history. If you were a, a brawler in high school, or sneaking around behind your parents' back, or if you were a drug dealer or a prostitute, Or if you were violent and beating people up, or whatever, and now you're not, you're saved following Jesus. If there's been that change in your life, then that is now attached to the gospel. It gives, it makes a statement about the gospel. It is a witness to the gospel. And it is attached to the gospel in the sense that if I would, when, if I go out and talk about our church, And I don't name names, and you're probably glad for that. But I don't name names. But I tell them that we have a drug dealer. I tell them we have a prostitute. I tell them we have a registered sex offender. I tell them that we have former military guys who had real, you know, have have had in the past issues with anger. Uh, I tell them that we have a a guy who went to high school, and I'm talking about me, of course, when I say this. But I don't tell, I don't tell my name either. But I'll tell them that we have somebody who used to fight all the time, was in trouble all the time. That we have thieves and liars. Who are saved and no longer those things, because that's the kind of church we are, and it's attached to the gospel. If you tell people, "I have accepted Jesus Christ, I'm living for the Lord," and you're living, and you're all kind of like clean now, then they're not going to go, "Oh, well, God really did a mighty thing in that person." They're going to say, "Well, so you're all that in a bag of chips." I mean, I see you're on, a, you're up on cloud nine, you're you're set up on a pedestal. You're so much better than anybody I know. So of course, you're living for the Lord. But then when you throw in the fact of what you used to be, that gives testimony to the power of the gospel. And what Paul was saying was, we've heard it, that testimony, not not about the Thessalonians or Thessalonians, but about Paul and those who came to them. We've heard the power of what God did in the testimony, okay? That's what he's saying. Then verse, well, let's go back to the beginning of nine. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God, from idols to serve a living and true God. So they were worshiping false idols. They had other things that were important put up on a pedestal like God. And they put those things away and focused on God from that moment on. And it's in the testimony of the other people in the other parts of the region that Paul says he hears this. It says, "...a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead." I, I just got, I'm going to say to you that the word wait there is probably the most difficult and challenging word in the gospel. I was putting Ariana to bed a few nights ago, and we were talking about when Jesus comes again, and we're talking about how, and she said, well, um, you know, one day we're all going to die and go to heaven. I said, well, not necessarily. And she said, well, no, that's true, because if Jesus comes again, then we won't die. And she said, Teddy, I really want him to come. She doesn't want to die. I don't want to die. If you want to die, I suggest you see a psychologist. I might be able to help you a little bit by introducing you to Jesus. But the bottom line is people don't want to die. No one wants to die. I don't want to die. And so I would like it if Jesus came again before I died, even though I know that that will be an end to the people getting saved. And I explained that to her. And I said, but you know, Jesus really wants to see everybody get saved. And I, and I said, he's not slow, like some count slowness, but he's patient that all men may come to repentance. And he's patient with us. So we're supposed to be living for Jesus so that others can come. All right. And so the point is we are waiting and it's painful sometimes. And I get that. We've talked about that for Jesus to come from heaven. That Jesus whom God raised from the dead, he says, that is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. We remember the wrath to come. Listen, ain't nothing you've been through that compares with what would happen if you made it to judgment day and don't know Jesus. (laughs) Right? And so I have, I have saved for vacation, and when the first day of vacation come, I've I've had my vacation canceled. Even though I saved up money, we had to get our refund our deposit from our cabin in Tennessee during COVID because we didn't get to go. And it's saved. Now we're all excited to get some time off work, get out of town. It's beautiful in the hills of Tennessee. It's going to be wonderful. And then to find out we can't go because of COVID because the place is closed. Everything's closed, right? But I also have saved for vacation and got to the first day of vacation, packed up the vehicle, which is always a lot of work, and get in the vehicle and driving, and we turn on 75 South, most of the times, we're usually going South, not always, but a lot of times, and we're going South, and I sing, Southbound and Down, picking up and trucking, and they all chuckle, because they knew I was gonna do it, and we go. And the sun is shining, even as if it's cold outside, the sun is shining, or it's always shining, and we go on vacation. When we get to the day of judgment, you're gonna be looking at what could have happened that day, how bad it could have been. And you're going to look at your aches, your pains, your, your struggle with lust, your temptations, your family broken relationships of people who lost loved ones that died and you were mourning their loss. You're going to look at all that and go, Oh boy, that's all over now. I made it through. And here I am. And I don't have to face the wrath of God now for an eternity. And you're going to praise him. And that's what the Thessalon, Thessalonians had turned to that's what Paul preached and let's be realistic that is what we are supposed to be teaching and indeed living out today and the fact that we forget when we're in the midst of trials about that day that is coming if, you, if you're believing every day on the day of judgment if you're believing every day on Jesus coming again then when things go badly it should be in your mind Jesus may be coming again right? he could be coming today Or next year or whatever. All I have to do is get through this to that moment in time at which Jesus comes again. And it totally transforms your thought process because it should be with you every waking moment of every day. Because it is who we are, this is what we're claimed by, and it's also what we do. Now we're on chapter two. He says, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our, that at our coming to you, I'm sorry, that our coming to you was not in vain. And that just simply means it was not without effect. Okay? It definitely did something. And, the, and they've already talked a little bit about what the something was. But he says it definitely did something. If you've heard the gospel of Jesus and you cannot connect to it a number of things that were changed after you embraced the gospel, if you can't find anything, I'm basically the same person, but now I believed in Jesus, then there's a good chance that your believing in Jesus didn't actually do anything. You say, but well, that can't be possible. Yes, it can. The demons believe in God and now have seen Jesus revealed and they they tremble at the whole thing. The legion begged Jesus, are you going to torment us before the time? They know who God is and they know the end. They see the judgment day. They know that they're going to spend an eternity in torment. And if you are not affected by your knowledge of who Jesus is, then you're probably not saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, and they were, Paul and Silas uh, got in trouble for preaching the gospel there and wound up in jail and chains, that's that episode where they're in the stocks and it's midnight or later and they're singing praises in the prison in the stocks and sore and hurting on the ground and, and having eaten and the jailer is home with his family next door or whatever, and they're pra- singing praises and there's an earthquake and all the chains fall open and all the lights go out. And the jailer comes rushing in a little bit later and he's going to kill himself. And Paul says, no, 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 we're all still here. We didn't leave. Don't kill yourself. And the jailer says to him, what must I do to be saved? That whole incident. He says, though we were suffering and had been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. So even though they were suffering, they went through all that in Philippi, they didn't come over to Thessalonica, and they're able to preach again the gospel in Thessalonica amid much suffering. There was a lot of bad things going on, even though it was getting really bad, and they, they, they were being threatened, believers were being threatened, people were persecuted in the streets, whatever. The persecution was breaking out in fullness. Even though that was true, they had the boldness in their God to speak the gospel of God. To lead those people to Christ, even though they might die for it. And once you've seen God, known God, been in God, once he's been in you, the fear is of losing that, not of having that and losing the world. And Paul says, so we were able to come with boldness to you uh, amid, it means it was going on right then, much tribulation. Verse 3. For, because, this is another because, a lot of because's in here, because our exhortation or our encouragement, that which comforts us, exhorts us, um, the word basically in the Greek has several meanings, but it basically means that that which was pushing them forward to do what was right, for, for our exhortation does not come from error. That means it's not wrong. I'm going to come back and break these down in my points, so I'll just go on. You know what error is. So Error or impurity means uncleanness or badness or by way of deceit, that means not through trickery, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, in other words, God deemed us worthy, He tested us and saw us as fit to receive the gospel, just as we have been entrusted by Him with the gospel, so we speak. They had to. God realized they were going to be worthy. They were going to do what he wanted. That's why he shared the gospel with them. He entrusted to men that he knew or to women that he knew would go and take the gospel. He entrusted the gospel to them. He said, "He says, we speak then not as pleasing men, but God. Again, if you know God and you know what God has done, then there is no reason to be worried about what people think with regards to what God has done. Let them take it up with him. He says, God who examines our hearts. God's testing our hearts, checking our hearts, knowing where we actually stand, right? Verse 5, For we never came with flattering speech. There's no reason to praise people. To, oh, I see you're smart. I see you're so good about that. Please listen to the gospel that I want to share with you. or whatever. You don't have to do that. They never came with flattering speech. It's not comfortable. In case you hadn't noticed this, my preaching would probably is, is, is rather kind of annoying. <laughs> I, I figured that out early on. I say things that that... The chafe. And it's not me. I'm saying what I think God wants me to say and so that's why I'm okay with it. And that's what he's saying. What we we're teaching, we're okay with saying that which you don't necessarily want to hear because it isn't about what we want to say or about what you want to hear. It's about what God wants to say. And God will examine our hearts. And so if I stand before you and I'm gentle with you to the point that I don't share the gospel, I'm doing you no service. If I would come in here every Sunday and preach a, a fun-loving gospel, we might get a heck of a lot more people to come, but I'm doing you no service. There's no growth in that, and Paul said that too. God examines our hearts. Verse 5, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. It's not, It's not. It doesn't benefit me. Right? God is witness. God knows this is true nor did we seek glory from men. That's doing this so that lots of people will come and put me on a pedestal. Either from you or from others. There was no one that Paul wanted validation from on this earth, I'll say. Now, he had validation from the church, and if he hadn't, he would have wanted it. But he didn't need to want it because he had it. But outside the church, there's no validation necessary. And if he didn't have it, and the church would never get it, he would still have been great. Because he was serving God. He would have still been doing exactly what God wanted him to do. So then it says, back to the nor did. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. Hear that phrase? He's saying, I could have told you what to do. I could have told you that you needed to buy me a house. Or that you needed to buy me a car. Or that you needed to show up and do this for me or that for me. Or that you needed to praise me. I could have done all of that as a gospel. I had the authority to tell you what to do. I could have asserted my authority. And he didn't. He's saying, but I didn't. That was not the point. Verse 7 says, but we proved to be gentle among you. Now, it doesn't mean gentle as in it doesn't bother you because the gospel is caustic. All right? It means gentle as in, I wasn't trying to control you, I'm not forcing you, I'm not manipulating you, I'm not preaching the gospel so that you will be and do exactly as I prefer rather than as what God per- would prefer. So we prove to be gentle among you, he, and this uses this illustration of gentle, he says, as a nursing, nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having thus a fond affection for you. In other words, I really wanted what was best for you. I really cared about you. He says, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, and we'll start there. Not only the gospel, I really wanted to share with you the truth of the gospel of God because I saw who you were and I longed to, for good things for you. I loved you and wanted you to do well. So, so I, not only to impart the gospel of God, but also our own lives. And you can read that back into, there was persecution developing. And he's like, okay, maybe they'll kill me for sharing the gospel. But I'm not going to stop sharing the gospel, even if I should die. Because I'm willing to spend my life that people might come to Christ. And then he says, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship." How working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory, which is the end goal. Essentially, is that we all—me, you, everybody—people wouldn't even know yet who might share the gospel with that we might eventually walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. Okay, there's a few things that I want you to see in here, um, and the truth is, this could have been a sermon series, but it'll go by pretty quickly. So, if you're writing down, get ready. Okay. So the first thing is, I want you to see that this passage of scripture lays out for us one of or some of the defining characteristics of the real gospel. There is a gospel that is the real gospel, and then there is a gospel that is altered slightly to not be true, or there is a gospel that is altered to be a complete falsehood. There's a gospel in the world today which uh, lots of folks, I don't usually do this or use these words very much, but called the prosperity gospel, basically says if you follow Jesus, then you'll have everything you want. He'll take care of you. And it's a big deal. It's in megachurches all over the world. Right? There's a gospel that says unless you can speak in tongues, unless you can babble in, in tongues in the worship service, you are not saved. But the Holy Spirit is not coming into your life unless you can speak in tongues. That's a false gospel. Okay? There are other false... There's lots of false gospels, but there is a real gospel, and this passage Scripture lays out some of the characteristics <laughs> for us of the real gospel. First of all, The real gospel is boldly delivered. If somebody comes to you meekly, or if they come to you by way of manipulation, or whatever means, and they're sharing the truth of Jesus Christ, and they're not bold about it, they're not sure about it, they're not firm about it, they act like, well, I think this is true. right? I want to talk to you about Jesus, but I kind of don't know. Whatever, that's not the gospel. That's a problem because we all know in this room. I hope you did. If you haven't, because we talked about it just during the during the inspirational moment that we're supposed to be sharing what we learn about a disciple is somebody who learns from Jesus, not learns from Dan or Pastor Bob or some guy in Texas through an evangelistic show on TV or something, but learns from Jesus and then takes what they learn from Jesus and shares it with the, with other people. And I submit to you that if it is the gospel, if what is it, what you're learning from. Jesus is attached to the gospel, then you will boldly share it. And if you cannot boldly share it, then you need to go back and ask yourself if what you learned was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's a problem because I see a lot of lack in ourselves and in others of boldly sharing the gospel in the world today. So I'm wondering, are we coming to the point in time where Jesus is going to come again very soon because he's going to go, well, We're pretty much at the point where the real gospel of Jesus isn't being shared that much, so people aren't really going to get saved. And so once nobody else is going to get saved, may as well end it. Right? Call it. It's done. The gospel is boldly delivered. Always. You don't say, I think Jesus came to save our sins. You say, I know Jesus. You don't even have to say, I know. Just say, Jesus came to save us from our sins. Period. Period or exclamation point, depending on the argument that you're in or our discussion you're having. Whatever. Just Jesus came to save us. Not only that, but he definitely did do that. right? He became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God through him. I know that. I can say it. When I was in high school, I was writing essays and I would write in my essay, I think, I know, it is my point or my conclusion that, and my my teacher come up to me and she said, "Listen, you don't have to do that. This is a personal essay. Everyone that's reading this essay knows who wrote the essay." And they know when you say something that it's your opinion. You don't have to say, in my opinion, Jesus was in heaven before he came to earth. He came down to earth and was revealed among men. The angels recognized him. He was eventually uh, proclaimed in the nations, believed on by men, rose again in glory. You don't have to say those things like, that's my opinion. I think it's true. I know you disagree, but... No, you just say it. And when they say to you they don't believe it, you still just say it. You say, well, I get it. I understand that's not what you think. I also understand you're wrong. And I know. Because I have met the risen Savior. He lives within me. And you stop going, it's my opinion or I think. You may have to ask them what their opinion is. But once they've told you what their opinion is, you just tell them what the truth is. Have you read what the Bible says about that? It says, this is what's true. I know it's true because of this is what's happened to me. The gospel is delivered boldly. The gospel is also delivered gently. You're going to run into some people who just don't agree with you, you know, and they'll say, don't talk to me about it anymore. I had a, friend, a good friend of mine who did that. And for five years, I obeyed his wishes and didn't talk to him. And I wrote him a letter and I said, I'm writing you this letter, explaining you to the truth about Jesus, because you asked me not to talk to you about it. I apologize in advance if this letter offends you, but if you have some response, I'd love to hear it. A couple days later, he said, get this. I read your letter. We can talk about that some more. See? It was delivered gently. If they don't want to hear it, they don't have to hear it. But if they've never heard it and they don't want to hear it, they do have to hear it. You say, I understand you don't want me to talk to you about Jesus, but I need to tell you just one time. I don't want to hear it. Okay. Then listen. If you're not going to even hear it just one time from me, if you and not understand or care about what I believe in at all, then you and I are done. Shake the dust off your feet and walk away. But if they'll hear it one time and disagree with it, then you can come back again and again and gently deliver the truth. Entreating them to accept the truth. Not your opinion, but boldly, simply put, this is what's real. This is the reality. Will you believe it? The gospel is also gently delivered. In other words, when you're talking to a sailor on the port side, telling him about Jesus, you don't cuss like he does. You say, but he may not understand me. No, he'll understand you. Okay. He'll wonder why are you not cussing at him probably because everybody does it. But you just explain gently the truth and ask for a decision. You may say to somebody that's a perfect stranger, I'm like, I would never do this, but you just might want to do this because it's exactly what God called us to. You're talking to them for a few minutes and they say, listen, I love you. I would be remiss if I didn't explain this to you. I know you think we're just having a professional conversation or we're talking about whatever here, but if I don't explain this truth to you, I am remiss. I will not have been doing what God wanted me to do, so I'm asking you, please just listen to me. And treat them. I recently had a confrontation with a brother who was a Christian, and I, and I couldn't figure out how to handle I didn't handle it well. I didn't. And after the fact, a couple of days later, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I did everything I could do to get this person to understand what I was talking about. I tried to explain it to them. And the Lord said, no, you did not. And I was like, but Lord, I tried to explain it. I I used all my guile and all that, everything I could. And I prayed to you for wisdom. I asked for everything. And he said, you didn't get down on your knees. And I realized that had I gotten down on my knees in front of that man who was virtually a stranger to me. Now, I hadn't talked to him in almost 10 years. But to to, try had I gotten down on on my knees in front of that man, he would have listened to what I said. He might not have agreed. It might not have gone well. But had I got, I was in a public, in a restaurant, and had I gotten down on my knees in the restaurant, I said, and I said, please just listen to me for a moment. I do not want this rift between us. And if, had I done that, at the very least, he would have said, now get up. You're making a scene. At the very least. But I was still in, stuck, still too prideful. Still too arrogant? He said, no, that's not me. And I, and I don't think of myself that way. And the more you don't think you're prideful and arrogant, probably the more you are. But I never even considered it. But if I'd have got down on my knees in that restaurant, in front of him, our problem would be resolved now. But I didn't do it. The gospel is delivered gently. The gospel is delivered faithfully. It, on and on and on. It's in your mind all the time. I'm saved freed from the day of judgment, inhabited by the Holy Spirit all the time, literally everything. doesn't matter if you're cranking on a wrench or pushing a broom or watching TV. The gospel should be in your head. It should be there. You're thinking about it. It's in your heart. It's being risen up by the Holy Spirit. He literally witnesses to the gospel and against sin in the hearts of all people, including the saved. The main difference is in the saved. We know what's happening. I know you don't want to hear that you're screwing up when you're screwing up. Nobody does. I don't want to either. But he's there all the time. And so it should be there all the time. And if you're more worried about what you're ordering than whether or not your server's going to hell, don't go to a restaurant. If you're more worried about getting the right, paying the right amount for your groceries than whether the cashier's going to hell or not, don't go to a grocery store. Pretty soon you'll be a recluse. And it'll be the opposite of what Jesus called you to because he said, my power will come up upon you and you will go and be my witness to the nations. The gospel is faithfully delivered. You know somebody who has said they don't want to hear it, and you've not talked to them about it for a long time, or they just clearly live in a lifestyle that's contrary to the gospel, and you're not talking to them about it. But the gospel is faithfully delivered. You might have to say something like, well, you know what Jesus would say about that. And they'll go, yeah, yeah, I don't want to hear it. But at least you brought up the name of Jesus. You did something. What is going on with this gospel of ours we are supposed to be faithfully, gently, and boldly delivering it all the time. That is the nature of the Gospel. And any Gospel that is some kind of Gospel that you have that's not boldly, gently, and faithfully delivered is not the Gospel that Paul preached. And Paul only preached the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so by correlation and substitution, if, the, if your Gospel is not gently, faithfully, and boldly delivered, you might want to reassess and start back from ground zero and build something that will last for an eternity. And our gospel exists and remains true in the middle of and over top of opposition. So you're hurting today. The gospel is the same gospel today as it was yesterday. So you're headed for trouble today. You see it developing. Oh man, the gospel is the same today as it was yesterday You lost a loved one, you're hurting in your heart, you're aching in pain, you don't know if they were saved or not. Join the club. You don't know if I'm saved, I don't know for sure you're saved, nobody knows who's saved, only God knows that. There's a wide spectrum. Well, I'm pretty sure they weren't saved because they look like a, they live like a piece of dirt wrapped up in drugs and alcohol violence all the time. And I've had families come to me and ask me, I don't do funerals for people who are not connected to the church, but I've had families ask me that, will you come do this funeral for this person? And he was a dirtbag. He's definitely not saved, but but my family will be there and I want them to hear the gospel. And I say, I'm sorry, I don't do funerals for folks who are not attached to the church. So you need to be in a church. Have your pastor do it. Well, I'm living for the Lord, but I'm not in the church. Well, you know what Jesus says about that, don't you? Well, yeah, I know what he says, but I I don't go to church because I don't need that. And I say, for all I know, the person you're talking about that was a dirt bag wrapped up in drugs and alcohol is just as saved as you are. Because you're telling me you're not in the church. You're telling me he's not in the church. But you're telling me about his sins. Shall we talk about yours? It's bold. I try to be as gentle as I can. And the truth is, sometimes I don't say it because I'm a coward inside other than in Christ. When Jesus speaks through me, the gospel is boldly, gently, faithfully delivered in the middle of all opposition and over top of all opposition, or it ain't the gospel. And this chastises me as much as it might anybody, because I've gone to the grocery store in the middle of my most difficult days and never mentioned how blessed I was, never mentioned Jesus, never mentioned God, never shared the gospel. To get myself, to get paid. Okay, put your card in the machine, okay. I couldn't tell you the hair color of the person who rang me out. Because I've been in the middle of opposition and I have dismissed the gospel offhand. And having seen this in the text, I'm telling you right now, I have repented and I pray it never be so. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is boldly, gently, faithfully delivered in the middle of and over top of all opposition or it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's the gospel of Jesus Christ from Mexico. But it ain't the gospel of Jesus unless it's boldly, gently, faithfully, in the middle of and over top of all opposition delivered. And I will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus because in it is the power of salvation. Secondly, in this text, that was just the first one. The real gospel. Secondly, we keep, we keep going gently and boldly because... Need a little encouragement, don't we? Because like After that first one, I'm like, God's got to help me. Because next week I'm going to be having a rough day and I've now committed to share the gospel or talk about being... Like I always use the... I'll say, "People, how are you doing today? And I say, blessed. And I've had people go right from there to... Let's talk about Jesus. Saved and unsaved people both. Because they know the word blessed is a Bible word. It's like a trigger, right? One it was one old lady, she's probably like 75 years old, but I, uh, she was working as a receptionist at the dentist or something. And I said to her, uh, she said, how are you doing today? And I said, I'm blessed. And she said... Oh, I like that answer. I like that answer. Let's talk about that. Just like that. And it turned out she was already professing Christian and saved and she's a member of something-something Methodist church or whatever and, and we agreed to meet at the tree when we get to heaven. We keep going gently and boldly because, number one, our encouragement to us and from us has these traits. Number one, it is not based in error. Listen to me. I'm going to say it. Probably never said it. This is the simple truth. When there was no mediator for men, when there was no one who could go to God and say, forgive them for what they have done, no one was left. Moses did it, Abraham did it, but now no one is left. There was no righteous man anywhere on the earth left that could go to God and say, please forgive them for what they had done. God himself came in the flesh as Jesus Christ, the son, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, a sinner's death, Though he was found not guilty by the only person who legally could have put him on the cross, he washed his own hands and said, I will not be guilty of the sin of this of the blood of this man because he has done nothing wrong to deserve crucifixion. But he turned him over to what should have been his own people. You think you got a problem with your own people? People look down on you, people give you trouble, people make a space between you and them. You think you're problem? His own people took him to the cross using the guard that had been assigned to the temple, Roman soldiers, and they crucified him. Until to take a breath, he had to push up to exhale so he could get another breath as his ripped open baton ground along the cross. I get it, it's crucifixion. Jesus died on that cross 100% absolutely certain. To be sure, when they came and checked him, normally they'd break your legs so you couldn't breathe anymore and you'd die pretty quickly after that, like within a minute or two. But they didn't have to break his legs because he was already dead. He was a trained Roman soldier who knew he was already dead. But because he could not risk, because if that man comes out of that cross and is somehow resuscitated, that Roman soldier sacrifices his life. And because of that, because he couldn't risk it, he ran his spear through his side into his heart and penetrated his heart and outflowed blood and water. Water first and then blood. And the doctors of that day couldn't have explained it to you, but we know it's because around your heart, when you're under extreme duress, water develops. And so when he punched that spear into his heart and pulled it back out, the water came out first and then the blood, in that order, in the text, because they couldn't know why, but that's what happened. He died on the cross, not when he stabbed him in the heart. He was already dead. Then Joseph of Arimathea came, claimed the body. They took him to a grave that he had set aside for himself, and buried him there. Put him in the tomb. But it was getting dark and going into the, the festival Sabbath. And they couldn't do any work. So put him in the grave. But he didn't stay in the grave. On the third day, he rose again. Came back to life. Was seen by many, hundreds, thousands of people. Teaching at one point in time. 500 people at once. Staying with the disciples for 40 days. Teaching them everything they needed to know to, to, to start the church. Then ultimately in the garden, they stood there and they watched him arise into heaven. Until he was blocked by a cloud, the scripture says. While they were standing there, still gazing into heaven, two men dressed in dazzling white clothes came and said to them, Why are you standing here staring up in the cloud? Don't worry about it. Just as he left, he's going to come back. It's going to be a big deal. You don't have to stand here waiting. It ain't going to be right now. Go do what he told you to do. And then they went and they hid in the upper room. Because they were afraid themselves of being crucified or persecuted to that point, And they hid. But then on Pentecost, they came out and they, they preached to a crowd of people of all kinds of mixed people who had different languages from all over the place and couldn't possibly understand them. And they said, this is what happened. They told the truth. And all those people who didn't speak common, which would have been Greek, They didn't speak a language that could be understood like English in America now spread throughout the world. They didn't have that language. They understood in their own language. And that day, 3,000 people were baptized. Men, plus how many other women and children. And then they went back to cities all over. everywhere, Because they were there for festivals. They left there and they went everywhere. And they started to share the truth of Jesus Christ that He was God of the flesh, died on the cross, rose again, proved once and for all the death of sin. Sin itself was Dead. Rose again to prove that there is resurrection. Listen to me. That's all true. It's all true. Every bit of it and more. The gospel of Jesus Christ, we keep sharing it faithfully, boldly, gently in the middle of opposition and over top of opposition, first of all, because it is not based in error. There is nothing wrong with the truth. And if the world is trying to do away with it, that only proves how valuable it is. The truth is the truth. And if you... Wanna take the gentle out of it and be a jerk? If you want to take the boldness out of it and be a coward? If you want to take the faithfulness out of it and be lazy or distracted by the world? You're too busy. You want to go camping? You want to go to Cedar Point? You want to go to auctions? You want to go to flea markets? You want to go to the gun show? You want to go to your work on your car some more? Put on some new tires. You wanna you got things you gotta do other than share the gospel? That gospel is in error. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is not. The truth is the truth. That gospel is also, and therefore we can proclaim it this way, not based in impurity. I mean, let's get real I'm gonna I want to say this to you about me, about Dan Stevenson. Literally everything except for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the fruit it has fostered. Everything except for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the fruit it has fostered that's in me is in impurity. Left to myself, I would have ruined my marriage. Left to myself, I would have spent years wrapped up in pornography. I would have been with other women. Odds are I would have gotten wrapped up in drugs or alcohol. I would have pursued money and the freedom that money offers. I know because I was doing that. Dan Stevenson outside the gospel of Jesus Christ and the fruit that it makes in me is a worthless piece of dirt doomed to go back into the dust and soul rotten hell for eternity. That's who I am if it were not for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the effect that it has had in me and he has had in me. If you can't boldly understand and faithfully proclaim and gently deliver you need to understand you still think something about you is good. You're still thinking something about you is worthy of eternity. I'll tell you what about you is worthy of eternity. It's the love of Jesus Christ. That's what about you. God made you, started you. You're intelligent. Yes. You're capable. Yes. You can fix it. Yes. You can break it. Probably. Yes. You can do a lot of things, but ain't none of that any good outside of Jesus. Jesus said outside of me, you can do nothing And until you figure that out you're still thinking about some kind of gospel that's just blessing you because you're a pretty good person. The gospel, the truth of Jesus, that synopsis I just gave you, His Holy Spirit coming to live in the church, the church being called to minister the gospel to other people, all of that is absolutely true. There is no error in it and it is not based in impurity. You just can't do what you would otherwise want to do. But you can do everything he wants you to do. You're able. And he will make you able beyond your wildest dreams. Ultimately for an eternity. This gospel that we're talking about also did not come by way of deceit. That means we were not deceived, tricked into believing what we believed. We actually believed it because it was actually true. It didn't come by any way of deceit. There are those who will pay you. They will literally pay you money to be saved. They'll flatter you. They'll literally encourage you and tell you how beautiful, how strong, how smart. Now, we should be encouraging one another all the time, using those kinds of words toward each other, and that's all good. But they'll do that in order to get you to come to Jesus. There are people, you know how many times the Jehovah's Witnesses have said they knew the exact date and time when Jesus was coming back? They, their order grew because they put out the date they knew they had discovered and could argue for how they knew that Jesus was coming back on a certain day. They did that it's either two or three times. And in, in apprehension of that date, every time, many people got saved In their halls. Not in their church, because they're not the church. And if somebody watches this video or listens to our podcast later, I'll stand in front of you today and tell you that the Jehovah's Witness religion is a cult. And anybody who's wrapped up in it has bought into a false gospel. I'm not trying to be political, but I'll tell you it's a fact. Just look at what they believe. It's a lie. It stands in contrast to Jesus Christ. So they get people to come. Years ago, I don't know if Josh, if you remember this, Josh was working at a little grocery store downtown in Toledo. And there was a guy who came in, he was talking to him, and he was interested in things of Christ, but really, what he was in a bad spot. He didn't have anywhere to live. He needed some help. That's basically his profession. So Josh called me up and he said, You know, if he, he's going to come in again tomorrow, he's been coming in day after day, what would what, what I tell him? And I said, Well, first of all, you tell him, we'll help him. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Share Jesus, tell him about Jesus, whatever. But the next time he came in, he had run into two Mormon guys who were living downtown. And those guys brought him with them to live in their apartment. They put a roof over his head. And they told him about their version of the gospel. They told him about Mormonism, which is not the gospel. But he believed it because they did something for him. Because they showed him compassion or their version thereof. And unfortunately, if he believes the gospel, that is what the Mormons teach, that means he didn't, he's not going to heaven. He's not accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He's not become a follower Now, that doesn't mean there can't be a person who calls themselves a Jehovah's Witness wrapped up in that false gospel that's saved, or the person who calls themselves Mormon, but they're actually saved. It can happen. But those religions are false religions. They're cults and they're teaching lies. A warped version of the gospel that does not leave people to Jesus but amazingly, they have continued to faithfully and boldly proclaim it in the middle of opposition, even gently. But they've left out the truth. It's in error. And it, and people are led to it out of their desires to be part of something The gospel that we preach, the gospel that we teach is boldly, gently, faithfully delivered in the middle of an over-opposition. That gospel is not in error and it is not of impurity and it does not come by way of deceit. That's why it's so important that if you're witnessing somebody and they ask you a question, they say, well, what about this? If you don't know the answer, you don't make it up. And you don't say, I think it's this. You say, I'll help you find the answer and we'll be sure. Because our gospel doesn't come by way of deceit. Also, our gospel, and the last thing on this list, is is not fruitless. Those who believe and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, those who come into relationship with Him and He comes and lives in them through God's Holy Spirit, will be affected. They will be changed. They will deliver a fruit into their lives that could not have otherwise been there. It will be not a fruit of impurity, not a fruit of deceit, not a fruit in error. It will be good things, love, peace, patience, kindness. And you know the list, or you can look it up, Galatians 5.22. I could probably do the whole thing, but you get the point. God is doing a work in his church. And if God is not doing a work in you then you need to go back and look at the gospel of Jesus Christ such as it was delivered unto you and make sure that it was delivered not in error, not in impurity, not in deceit. You need to ask yourself, is is it a boldly proclaimed, gently delivered, faithfully delivered, in the midst of opposition, over top of opposition gospel, or is it not? This will lead them to us. And we will have to do a little less hunting to find somebody because they will see the difference, they will know the difference, and they will come looking. The third point then is that we were able to do this. We are able to do this because, number one, we were approved by God to be entrusted with this message. If you are here today and have never truly accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the fact that you are receiving the invitation today means that God is checking your heart. He is deciding, are you able, worthy in me, with my help? All the time I'm, I, I do marriage Bible study with uh, husbands and wives, and I ask the husband to look at the woman by lesson four, and I say, I want you to look at her, the husband to be, I'll say, I want you to look at her and decide, with God's help, can she be the woman for you? Now, I'll look at her and I'll say, with God's help, can He be the woman for you? It's believing in God, it's trusting in God, but it's trusting God if they're going to use that person. And it's the same way. We have been approved by God to be entrusted, if we have become followers of Jesus Christ, with this powerful message that meets these characteristics and more. And if you were entrusted with it, and then you put it in your closet, kept it in your wallet or under your dusty Bible then you are betraying the trust with which you were entrusted. We are approved by God to be entrusted with this gospel. And to do so not as pleasing men. In other words, you can proclaim the gospel, tell people about Jesus, this truth about Jesus. It is very... Go, just go try to tell a Muslim that Jesus Christ died on the cross. They don't believe in Jesus as Lord, and they don't believe that He was the Son of God. They think He was a prophet like Muhammad. But they deny that He died on the cross. Not because the body of Jesus... They say... and Correct me if I get this wrong, but I think I got it right. They say that Judas' soul was transported into Jesus' body on the cross. And so it was Jesus' body, but it was Judas who died. Because they can't believe that a prophet of God would die on the cross. You follow my logic? Just go try to tell them Jesus died on the cross. It'll be a sticking point. It won't be the only one. There'll be many. We are approved and trusted with the gospel. We need not worry about pleasing men. It doesn't have to be something you like that if you don't follow Jesus, you'll spend hell in eternity. You don't have to like that. And delivering that part of the message is usually not going to be gentle. You shouldn't go there until you really know God wants you to go there. And treat them to heaven. I do the evangel cube and it shows heaven on the top and hell on the bottom and there's got Jesus' hand helping the guy to get up to the top, you know, to get up to heaven. And I say, and so we believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we'll go to heaven. And then I say, and if not, there's the alternative and I just tap the fire. I don't say you're going to hell if you don't believe. I just say, but if not, there's the alternative. They already know. There's not a human on the face of the earth that doesn't know. They may disagree with it. They may not like it, not be pleased by it. But there's nobody on the face of the earth that doesn't know. Because if they were treated the way they treat other people, they would want that person to suffer. They would want that person to be corrected, to face justice. And so then when they, if they really would examine the way they have acted, they'd say, well, I know what I deserve. You don't have to tell them they're going to hell. They already know it. The fact is, if they are not knowing Jesus, and to some degree, they're already living the beginnings of it. Because they're without God, which is what hell will really be, an eternity without God. It's not going to be pleasing. It's not going to be pleasing to your kids. It's not going to be pleasing to your friends. It's not going to be pleasing to your coworkers. It was not pleasing to me. It's still not pleasing to me to think that if I had not accepted Jesus Christ, I would be in hell for eternity when I die. We don't have to worry about pleasing people. We have to worry about saving people never ever deliver this with flattering speech because it is clear and simple. Don't say, look, I know you're smart enough to understand this, what I'm trying to tell you today. Don't say, I know you'll get it. Give yourself a little time. You're going to come around to this truth. No, just tell them the truth and ask them to believe. Let's stop playing games. We were approved to be entrusted with this gospel. We must not add or subtract anything to it or from it. Also, you cannot preach this gospel with a pretext for greed. Entrusted with the gospel such as it is, we cannot benefit by it. Do you understand me? We do. There's nothing you can do about it, but it's got to be totally in the Lord's hands. If you think you're following Jesus to get healed, to feel better, to help your relationships so you'll do better, I, I can't tell you how many people come to church and they go, I really need God in my life. Yes, you do. Not the way you think. Not what you're saying. Not as a protector, a provider to give you a bunch of stuff, but you need God in your life. Ultimately, He is the only thing you need. But we're not there yet. Don't do it because you love them more than you love somebody else. The saved need Jesus. There is, Jesus said, the resources are in the harvest. So our church will be blessed and grow and be financially successful. We will do well. There'll be more money in the deacon's fund, which means if you can't pay your rent, there'll be somebody to pay your rent for you. If you go tell more people about Jesus, there's a bigger safety net. It's more comfortable. The room will be more filled. You'll have more authorization, more authentication. You'll know that the gospel is true because there'll be more people coming, right? So the 2,000 people that sit in the mega church that preaches a prosperity gospel that has nothing to do with Jesus, they don't even mention the name of Jesus for six, nine months at a time, There's Their gospel is more authenticated, right? Because they have more people. No, that's a lie. That's what the world would teach you. You cannot deliver this gospel into the world believing that you will benefit by it. Otherwise, you are a sorcerer, not a Christian, and you're still going to hell. But if you will deliver the gospel because it's who we are and what we do and what we've been entrusted with, because it's not based in error, not based in impurity, not by way of deceit, not fruitless. It changes people, it affects people, it makes them possible. It brings the life the dead. If you'll do it for that reason, seeking no glory from men, then maybe you're actually saved and sharing the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the one that could save everybody. It starts with one man telling as many people as possible, and, and then every one of them tells as many people as possible, and every one of them tells as many people as possible. And this is the plan that Jesus had for saving the world. And he is patient with us that all men may come to repentance. The last one on this list, and then we're in the conclusion, is not asserting authority. I sat with a man and a woman in their living room and I was trying to share the gospel with her and she'd, she was having what was considered to be um, schizophrenic episodes. She was hearing voices. But the voices were always telling her things mostly about God or about the Bible or about her husband or about their marriage or whatever. She was hearing all these voices and was affecting her. And so her husband, who was a professing Christian but not truly walking with the Lord, called me to their house to witness to them, especially her. He really wanted her to get saved because he couldn't stand her the way she was. So I'm sharing it. Every time I'm trying to share it, he's trying to talk. I'm like talking about what the Bible says. And every time I would talk, right in the middle of the sentence, he'd start talking. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, yeah it's this. Well, it doesn't actually say this. Where's That's in the book of Sons. Finally, I looked at him and I said, listen to me. And he said, yeah. I said, I want you to sit there and shut up. Just like that. Now that's bold, but I was beyond the point of gentle. I tried cautioning him a couple times before I got there, but I said, I want you to sit there and shut up. From that point on, you know what he did? He sat there and shut up for roughly 20 minutes as she and I and whoever was affecting her talked for about 20 minutes through the gospel. And ultimately, she prayed to accept Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Later, he would tell me that he felt somehow spiritually compelled to be quiet. So then I explained to him that it was probably because he wasn't walking with the Lord and it was evil spirits that were affecting him, trying to get him to talk up so it would stop his wife from getting saved because all I was trying to do was share the simple gospel. I had nothing at stake. She had everything at stake and he kept chiming in. I could tell you three more stories just like that. Perry and I went witnessing to a guy who had evil spirits in his house. I'll share this one very quick. And while we were there, he had claimed to be a Muslim, which is why I took Perry with me. About halfway through the conversation, Perry said, you ain't no Muslim. And the guy said, well, my family is. And if they found out I became Christian, I'd be in all kinds of trouble. And he wanted us to rebuke the demons in his house, which we'd already done twice. Tim Mitchell went with me once and somebody else went another time. We'd already done it twice, and they kept coming back. coming back. And I said, dude, the problem is, you're not saved. That's the problem. I just told him. I said, you're not saved. I said, until you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, they're not going to leave you alone. You're at their whim. You remember this conversation? Yeah. He ultimately prayed to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He then called me about uh, two months later and tried to pay me $28,000. To which I said, no, I wouldn't take it. I said, I can't do that. That would be like me taking money for... Explaining the gospel, I can't do that. So if you want to donate that money to the church, you can. Bob O'Hara was the treasurer of the church at that time. Back when we were on uh, Main Street, and uh, I said, "What I'll do is I'll call Bob, the treasurer, and you and him can meet at the bank, and you can give the money to him, and it'll go to the church and proceed, and Kingdom of God will be advanced, whatever by your money." So if that's what you want to do. You can do that. That's completely on you. He said, "I'll I'll get the check right now." I said, "No, I, I'm not going to take a check from you. I won't do it." So you can give it to the church, but you can't give it to me. He didn't. But the point is, we got to the moment where I I had authority in his house and I was able to say, listen to me, you will do this or you will face this over and over again. If you're in this room and you're following some kind of gospel other than that, if you're wondering why there are evil spirits roaming in your house, is because you're unwilling to boldly declare, unwilling to gently deliver, unwilling to faithfully deliver, unwilling to stand up in the midst of trials and oppositions and over top of trials and oppositions because your gospel is a weak gospel probably delivered to you in error or in impurity or by deceit or it's fruitless You and you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and walk into your house and say, Jesus rules here. In in the movie Prayer Room Prayer Room, the woman comes out of her prayer and she's she found out that her husband was right then, at that moment, meeting with a woman that he was planning on having an affair with, and they'd been fighting. And so she prayed, said, God, don't let him do this. Don't do it. And she had already gone through her house and said, Get out of here, Satan! And she literally rebuked Satan in the name of Christ and kicked him out. And so she's in, she's in a praying for her husband. She said, "Don't let him do this." And he's at dinner. All of a sudden, he starts stomachs getting upset, and he's like, "Oh man!" He goes to the bathroom. He's like, "I'm going to have to pass on this." And he goes back to the woman. He says, "I'm sorry. I'm not feeling well. I'm going to pass on this." And then the next day, he loses his job. And he comes to his wife, and he says, "I lost my job." And she says, "God's going to take care of us. We're going to pray about this." And he's like, "Why aren't you coming at me? Why are we not fighting and arguing like we always have done?" And she said, "Because." God is in charge here. God is in charge of me. I am a Christian. And I love you. And I want what's best for you. I had a young, a young man who was coming to church here. And he wanted to meet with me. And so I met with him. And he said, well, i got these three problems. I'm supposed to do this, this, and this. i got to deal with. What, do you want, what, what should I do? Problem number one, what am I supposed to do? And I said, well... That's not how this works. And he said, well, I just want you to tell me what to do. And I said, that's not who I am. I said, first of all, I'm not your pastor. You're not part of my church. So I'm just here as your friend today. So you want me to tell you what the Bible says? I'll tell you. And we'll figure it out together. And he said, no, that's too much work. I just want you to tell me. There is a church in the city of Toledo, and if Tony Tate was here, he'd witness this because he's been in that situation, where they'll tell you what to do. So if you want to follow Jesus and you need somebody to tell you what to do, you can go to that church. It's not the gospel. You probably aren't saved. You probably won't get saved there, but you can go there and they'll tell you what to do. And it's not just one church. There are churches like that all over the world. will tell you what to do. But guess what? I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'll tell you about the gospel. I'll tell you what God wants us to do. Now you decide what you're going to do. That's what our invitation is all about. I don't stand up and I say, okay, Aaron... You've been going through some stuff. Come on, come respond to the invitation. And many times I stand up here and there's nobody to respond to the invitation. And if there isn't, there isn't. If you don't need to respond, don't. But if God puts it on your heart to do so and you don't, then you answer to Him. I have no authority over you. However, God has measured my heart and has entrusted to me the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm entrusting it to you because I believe that He's called you to do and be what it is we're talking about. And you need to respond. But I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to tell you to respond. I'm not going to make you feel guilty if you don't. Lots of churches, because they don't want to do that, they just cancel the invitation altogether. But if there's no invitation, there's no gospel. The conclusion is simple. It's this. Once affected by this truth and the God-given encouragement that they're talking about, which comes not based in error, not based in impurity, not by way of deceit, not fruitless, boldly, gently, faithfully, that God-giving encouragement that comes, you will never be okay again. That's what I figured out. Since so this is what happened to me. I started attending East Little Baptist Church. I went there for six months, and I started thinking what they were saying was true. So then I realized on Sunday morning I couldn't be anywhere else because the truth was there. So I always came to hear the truth. Something was affecting me, but I wasn't saved, so I didn't know what it was. And I started saying, i got to do something. Because I know this truth, if I don't respond to it, I'll never be okay again. Finally, after six months of sitting in the back pew, and I said, I've got to do something. It was like, like something was pushing me up out of my seat. Something had grabbed a hold of my heart and was pulling me forward to tell the church that I would live for Jesus. When I turned my foot out, I was so afraid of going up there, I didn't think I could walk down the aisle, but as soon as I turned my foot out, the next thing I know, and I've rehearsed this in my mind now for 26 years, the next thing I know, I was standing nose to nose with the pastor like this telling him I wanted to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't have to walk the aisle because as soon as I went like this, I was there. You say, you don't believe in teleportation? Well, I I blacked out or something. And I was there because I knew, as long as I knew this truth about who Jesus was and what he had done and what he wanted to do in me and through me, I would never be okay again unless I responded, unless I did what it was he was calling me to do. And so I did it. And then I started living it. And then this is what happened. I'm being transparent here. Bad things happened. I ran into opposition, ran into difficulty. Things fell apart. Things didn't go the way I wanted them to. This last week, twice. This last week, twice, I was so angry. I was literally ready to hurt someone or something. Twice. In one week. One of them had to do with a, a dear friend of mine. It was a difficult spot. And I, and I felt like that person had been betrayed. They betrayed themselves. And I was ready to hurt somebody. And I had to call and confide in a brother. And I'm sure he heard it in my voice and would testify if I gave him permission to. Of what I was saying. It was a confidential conversation. But, and then there was another time. And the other time I confided in my wife. And I told her, I said, you don't understand. I am so angry right now. I am literally ready to hurt. I'm like going to explode. I have to say this. I have to get it. You have to hear what I have to say. And we have to try to figure out what we're going to do about this because it is an injustice and we've got to fix it. I was so angry. But in the midst of that, I thought, well, but I'm okay. But that's not in the gospel. Child of God is in the gospel. Heir and joint heir of Jesus, that's in the gospel. Headed for eternity in heaven, that's in the gospel. Saved from the judgment that will come on the day Jesus returns again, that's in the gospel. None of those things sound like okay. If at the beginning of the football season, the coach came and he said, listen, I know for a fact, I had a time machine, I traveled to the end of the season I saw us winning state, right? We went all the way through the season, good enough record, whatever that was, and we went to the playoffs, and we won, and we went to state. I read the headlines. I know for, I've just come back from a time machine. I know for a fact that I have, that this team, the team that's right here in this room, we won state this year. I know it because I was there, and I saw it. Can't be changed. If the team believes them, they can't be okay after that right? They're not going to go, oh, you know, we just like, gave up a touchdown, but we're okay because at the end of the season, we win state. They're going to go off You know how they like shake their finger in the fist of another player. They're going to say, yeah, but we win state, baby. Not okay, right? If we win in the end, we're not okay. We're great. If Jesus is actually building a mansion for you in heaven right now with the color furniture you like, you're not okay. You're not okay when you're dying. You've heard the song, uh, Eyes of of the Storm, possibly. If you haven't, look it up. Ariana and I were singing it like two days in a row, singing it We like 40 times, and I still can only remember like 10% of the words, but when he's singing, I can do more. You get that notice? That there's nothing more they can do? that it's not going right and there's nothing you can do to change it and you're just like, oh, if only I could just elevate myself to be content like the Bible says I should be right now. Maybe that ain't the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is you are a child of God. Your Lord and Master Jesus paid for your sins. You will never see the burning of hell, but you will see the glory of heaven for eternity. You're not okay. You are soaring above the tribulations. You are better off than anybody else could be who doesn't know Jesus, even if they were billionaire, sleeping with a different person every night, flying their private jet to 20 different mansions in the world, buying and selling companies to make another $100 million today. You're not okay. You're better than that. Because ultimately, they're going to stand in front of the judgment and be sent into hell for an eternity. And you're going to go into heaven. You're not okay. This gospel that we're talking about, if you hadn't accepted it, you could never be okay because you, it would always be rattling around in you, trying to have its work, trying to have its way, and you'd always be pushing it away, and you'd just get more and more chasing, more and more hard away from God. So you could never be okay. So the truth is, once meeting this gospel, you can never be okay again. If you're saying the next time you face opposition, but I'm okay. Hear me saying, you're way better than that. You're way better than that. You're amazing. He's awesome. And he's in you. And nobody could ask for more. Unless, of course, they don't know him. Do you know him? Then the next time it's broken, or it's running out, or it's falling down, or it's not there when you want it, or the words aren't right, if you know him, praise him for the afflictions, for the tribulations, and deliver this gospel Boldly, gently, faithfully, in the midst of that opposition. Not based in error, not based in impurity, not by way of deceit, and definitely not fruitless. Ain't nobody ever starved who had fruit. Nor will you, nor will I. God help us. Choose your side today, this gospel that Jesus has called us to and entrusted us with, or some other. The fact is that the others are pretty good by earthly standards, but they are nothing by God's standards. Last illustration, and I'm through. A friend of mine, I don't know, a friend? He's a friend on Facebook. An associate of mine posted a text, or a message on Facebook this week. He said, today I was present and ministered to a woman in my congregation whose husband, young husband, 23, I think, had climbed up in a tree to trim some branches and he fell and he broke his neck. And the pastor happened to be there at that time and they ministered to him uh, CPR until the paramedics arrived and, and said that he was dead on the scene. 23 years old, two kids. He said, so I encouraged her the best I could, the best I knew how. And then, he said, I had to go home and finish my sermon for Sunday on how the deacons of our church should love the congregation and serve them. After pumping that guy's chest for six or seven minutes until the paramedics got there, over the years serving in New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church, previously, New Heights Fellowship of Mission of East Toledo Baptist Church, I've had People make promises. I've had people and break them. I've had people respond to the invitation and didn't do what they said they were going to do. People say, I know God's calling me to this ministry, only to start it, only to later to decide to not. I've had people that I trusted with my life come to me and say, You know, I've been thinking I'm, I'm going to go to a different church. I've had people get saved and baptized, and we dump them in the water, and they come out and our church next Sunday and then I go talk to them and they're like, yeah, we're not going to go to church right now or we're going to go to church at a different church. People in our church say, I need this. Can you do this for me? Yep, I'll get that done for you. A week goes by, a month goes by, six months goes by, still not done. So I do it myself. It's not about me. What I'm saying to you is I'm going to be here faithfully, gently, boldly, through opposition, over top of opposition, proclaiming this gospel that I know to be without error, not out of impurity or deceit. If you realize you accepted some other gospel, I'd ask you today to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in earnest and become a student of the gospel, the real gospel, the gospel of Jesus. If you're here today and you realize you have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but you haven't thought about what he called you to that you're a minister of the gospel that you're reconciling people to him that you're sharing the truth just how vital that truth is and you can lose it every time you face opposition and you go, oh, woe is me no, no more woe is you not ever then if you realize that's where you've been then you say, I repent today and I turning back to the Lord to become a bearer of that which he gave me to bear. This gospel. I ask the praise team to come forward, lead us in this final song. If this is your opportunity to respond. Do not respond out of guilt. Do not respond out of deceit. But the Lord has spoken into your heart, and you can respond. You can just raise your hand right where you are. You don't have to walk and just say, I got say. I know this to be true. And tell us the truth. And that's all. But we are truth bearers and truth sayers. We are a people of the truth. We're ready? Right. Stand with us and sing if you're able. Respond if you Thanks for joining us for this podcast from New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo. A word of encouragement to you today. I hope you really enjoyed and grew from this podcast. And then uh, please check us out online at uh, churchtoledo.com and also download our app now available in Google Play Store and on the iOS uh, app system. However you say that. Anyway, so download it. It's life, the number four, Toledo Life for Toledo. That's the name of the app and there's opportunities on there to serve and also opportunities to be served with groceries. If you happen to be in need and in the Toledo area, just want to know what's going on, please download that app. Then uh, if you like it, give us a nice review and uh, pass it on to all your friends and let everybody know about it because we want to get as many people in that community as we possibly can.